the larger an organization gets, competency flattens. Incompetency grows exponentially. So you think about an organization that has 10,000 people, 100 people are producing 50% of the work. So there are 100 extremely competent people inside that organization that are responsible for making sure that the balance of those 10,000 individuals are being extremely productive. The reason I point this out is that's how difficult it is to find highly competent, hardworking, motivated individuals. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our business, grow our leadership and develop our teams in a way that allows us to get our products and services out of the world yet still remain profitable? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Our guest today on the Club Capital Leadership Podcast is Steve Suggs. Steve started out as a salesperson and then a sales manager, and he's also the author of the book, Can They Sell? Steve's been in the sales trenches for 37 years. He obtained his business degree at Lipscomb University in Nashville, Tennessee. And then once he graduated, he began his career in sales at Northwestern Mutual and quickly moved into sales management. After 15 years in sales and sales management with Northwestern Mutual, he spent the last 20 years as a partner with Sales Managed Solutions. On a daily basis, Steve uses all the tools and processes presented to you today on our podcast. He's trained literally thousands of managers to recruit and coach the best and spends up to eight hours daily on the phone coaching managers to avoid hiring salespeople who they like but simply can't sell. Chris, this podcast was absolutely fantastic. In a short amount of time, we got a lot of information in. What are a couple of things you picked up on this podcast with Steve? Well, a word of advice to all of our listeners is that before you even continue listening to this podcast, take out a pen and paper and draw a Venn diagram because in this podcast, you're going to find out the exact differences between, actually the most detailed differences between a service team member and a sales team member and what they share in common. I have never heard a differentiation at the level that Steve broke it down today. So definitely do that because today you're going to find out what those are and so much more. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. Google makes it easy. Swap a card, pay for marketing. Sure, you get a few more phone calls, but they have nothing to do with your business. The truth is Google can't understand the buyer's intent. Enter Matt and Maddie Jonesa, the husband-wife duo adding intention to your online marketing game. As a State Farm agent himself, Matt built his business by maximizing the volume and quality of inbound calls. His success led to the creation of DirectClicks, a company helping insurance agents across the country grow their business through online campaigns. They focus on Google ads so you don't have to spread your budget across the internet. With attention to detail and transparency, they provide monthly review calls, exclusivity, and the lowest cost per click. So before you swap that card, contact Matt and Maddie Jones at directclicksinc.com. Again, that's directclicksinc.com. Well, Steve, whenever we launched the Club Capital podcast, I was so excited. One of the guests I knew that I wanted to have on was Steve Suggs. Steve, we're excited to have you on the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. 
Well, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. We always like to start out just to give people an opportunity to talk about your background and your origin story and how you got to doing what you're doing today. So why don't you just walk people through that? Sure. I'd be glad to do that. I grew up in North Alabama, a very large family. I grew up in high school working for the truck farmers around the area there. My mom said, Steve, if you want to get out of the fields, you better go to college. So when I was 18, after graduation, I packed up my 1970 Monte Carlo and moved to Nashville and uh, went there to Lipscomb University. And then after getting my degree there in business, went to work at Northwestern Mutual. And from there, I spent 15 years. I was an MDRT producer. I was a sales leader there. And during the last couple of years I was at Northwestern Mutual, I met my current business partner, Lance Cooper. And at the time, he already had a company established for about 15 years. He was doing a lot of sales training. And he discovered, as I did, this huge gap in the marketplace of a best practice recruiting system. And so he and I risked our friendship, came together as partners, and created the Recruit the Best system. And we folded that into his company that was already doing sales training and also training and coaching sales managers. And so for the past 20 years, I've been working with him and we have end-to-end solutions for sales organizations in the areas of sales training, hiring salespeople and coaching salespeople. And so I spend today, all day long, every day on the telephone with managers as they're hiring individuals and we're discussing information about those individuals related to all of the components that determine whether or not they can sell. And so... My business partner and the rest of our team, we have customers all across America, and we do various forms of training and development in all kinds of sales organizations. Steve, when did you start that company with Lance initially? I joined him 20 years ago. The company was already 15 years old, so we've been around for about 35 years total. So what has changed in recruiting team members, period, especially sales team members today in 2020, than what it was? 20, 35 years ago? Well, 20 to 35 years ago, if you look at an insurance office, you mostly had an agent who was doing most of the selling. And they recruited team members who were these really nice relational individuals who were mostly doing customer service. And what I've seen, especially in the past eight to 10 years, is those organizations, the home office with new contracts has caused agents to evolve to being mostly a sales manager who needs to build a sales team. Production requirements have gone up. Competition is just really incredible out there. And as you know, rates change, they go up and down. And so in order for organizations to be extremely productive, they really have to have a sales model. So inside the organization, you're gonna have people who are chaser, hunter salespeople, And you're going to have service people who must be able to pivot and close. That's been the biggest change. Another change that's really impacting recruiting is just our culture. Living in America today, it's easy to survive for several reasons. One big reason is parents let children live at home until they're 28 years old. So this Peter Pan syndrome of not wanting to grow up has a lot to do with that. So work ethic and sense of responsibility has suffered And it has just become harder to find that individual who's that fast-moving, high-energy, quote-a-lot, sell-a-lot individual. 
And sometimes when you find those individuals, they're not ready to grow up and do a job that's this mature and this serious. Hmm. So the culture in America has caused a dramatic change and it makes it much more difficult. And then throw COVID in there. And everything that's happening in 2020 with all of the unemployment that was out there, with the unemployment payments of $600 a week. And that was just more salt in the wound of having a hard time recruiting. A lot of that has dissipated. I'm seeing a lot of more quality candidates are applying and coming back on the market. So we're sort of coming out of that a little bit, but we're still in this incredible challenge. Of, it's just difficult to find a person who has all of the dimensions and all the components necessary to be able to do the sales or sales combo service role in an agent's office. It's a challenge. Challenge indeed. Thank you so much for sharing that, Steve. Now, one quick question is, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see agents make in regards to recruiting team members? Well, there are mistakes on two or three levels. One level is because agents are independent contractors, their home office has made a very hard decision, but an important decision to not give agents training on hiring and coaching team members. They do that because they're independent contractors. And they do that for two reasons. One is the IRS is always coming after organizations that have independent contractors who are 1099 employees, and they use the fact that they don't help them hire team members to help strengthen that relationship with the IRS so that they can remain 1099 employees. The other reason is the home office doesn't want to expose themselves with tens of thousands of independent contractors out there who might violate an SEC law and cause the home office to get sued. So they, in order to keep that arm's length distance between the independent contractors, they intentionally do not give them recruiting training. So you have these individuals out there who have a lot of training in a lot of areas, but they really don't understand a best practice recruiting process. They really don't understand what to look for, how to look for it. So there's just a big high level of low education in that area of recruiting. And a big problem with that is some individuals have this false sense of security that they know how to do it. And it takes three to five hires or a couple of hundred thousand dollars in payroll for them to decide, I really don't know what I'm doing. And then eventually they'll reach out for help. The second level of problems is you have people who reach out for help. And we teach a lot of information about human behavior. We teach how to use a lot of tools and they'll sign up for the service, but they won't study and they won't use the tools just because they're so busy. Just a lot of reasons they don't do that. The third level is those individuals who reach out to us, they study what we're training, they use the system, they have telephone calls with me, and things get a lot better. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue and increase your bottom line? Club Capital is here to help. Built for agents by agents, so we know your struggles. With accounting, payroll, and HR solutions, tax services, analytics, and more, Let's get you on the path to serious success. Using data-driven insights, you'll grow your business based on revenue and expense comparisons alongside your top performing peers. With over $100 million in tracked annual revenue and $70 million in tracked annual expenses, we have the data to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. Let's make your back office less of a hassle and more of the strategic generator that powers the growth to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book your complimentary, no obligation demo. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. 
So I want to ask you a little bit more about the one part where when you said the people that do reach out to you, they do know that they need help. They're paying for the service and they don't use the tools because you're right. They are busy. Where do you see the difference between the ones that actually are using the system, engaging with the tools, working with you, applying, working, getting better, and the ones that don't? What's the big differentiating factor there? Because listen, if they're reaching out to you that they want to get better, they want to grow their business, they know that they need to be better at recruiting. But what's the differentiating factor that you've seen between the ones that actually use it and the ones that don't? It's the same thing that you see people join a They'll go and buy an annual membership at a health club and go a week. They decide they want to eat better. They'll eat better for a week. Some things are just too hard that people don't put forth the effort and do it. They want an easy solution. And people are complicated. So there is nothing easy about learning human behavior and finding candidates in America, in our culture, with everything that we talked about earlier. There's nothing easy about doing it. It takes an incredible commitment of, I'm sick and tired of buying a Rolex and then losing it in two days. (laughs) Because every time you make a bad hire, you're basically buying a Rolex and smashing it with a hammer. That's about how much it costs every time you hire the wrong person. So that's actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, what is the true cost of a mishire? A State Farm sales leader, Curtis Gilbert, actually did a study. He was very interested in knowing that number. He came up with a $70,000 number. And the way he arrived at that is if you hire the wrong person, you keep them for 12 months, and you calculate how much money you're going to spend on training, how much money you're going to spend on a base salary. But also, if you hire a really good team member who can write 40 to 50 apps per month and the amount of premium that is, look at the renewals in the second year on the premium of 40 to 50 apps over a 12-month period. Compare that to the renewals on 20 apps a month over a 12-month period. Put that into the lost revenue. You get to 70000 pretty quickly. And that probably is low. It's low. Yeah. 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 Well, State Farm, I don't know if I can mention names on this podcast, but they did a study. It's a well-known study. They spend 500000 to get an agent in an office. Well, I can buy a lot of nice Rolex watches with $70,000. Yeah, that takes like seven. Several vacations. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so the primary focus of the podcast is clearly going to be on sales team members, but you do help agents whenever, because the agent's office is full of not just sales team members, but also service team members, which you mentioned, maybe some sales managers, service manager and office manager, maybe some marketing coordinators, not to get into those other positions outside of the main two, a service team member and a sales team member. What is the biggest fundamental difference, if there is one, between recruiting a sales team member, Hunter, versus a service team member? Yeah, the two main positions in a State Farm office or any insurance office is the sales hunter. That's the individual who spends most of their time making telephone calls, calling people who are not expecting the phone call, gaining their interest, discovering their needs, making the presentation, handling objections, and getting the sale. And they need to do that about eight to 10 times a day, eight to 10 quotes a day, in order to produce 40 to 50 apps. So it's a pretty good definition of that particular sales position. The other position is the service team member who wraps up a service transaction and then will say, do you have just a minute to let me 
mention a few things that I'm seeing here in your file. Person says, sure, go ahead. Well, I see that you have auto here, but you don't have fire. Do you have a minute to let me give you some information about how you might bundle those things together? The selling team member who is responsible for eight to 10 quotes a day, they're fast moving. They don't get bogged down in details. They don't get bogged down in these long drawn out conversations with nice people who are not going to buy. And they don't spend too much time over preparing the quote and presenting the quote. So that's a fast moving in control extrovert who has low analytical and low kind of moderate compassion scores. So they're very good at knowing how to control a conversation and quickly move it ahead in a socially assertive way, giving just enough information and having just enough pleasantly persistent conversation so they can wrap that one up and move on to the next one. That's the best personality profile for that selling team member. Plus, they have very hard work ethic. They own the products that they sell. They're passionate about the company that they're working with. They are passionate about being in sales. And they have a strong desire to make sure that people don't go to bed unprotected. And they're either competitive or they're very money motivated. So that's kind of an overall profile of that type of individual. The service team member who can pivot and close, their sense of urgency is dial back. They're more patient. Now, they're not too patient because really patient people struggle to multitask in a state farm office. They struggle to be productive. So we want that person who is, they're not a plow horse. They're more of a trotter, like the racehorse we just described. So they're pretty good at having this pretty fast trot at getting service work done. And they also have a high level of assertiveness and can handle the rejection associated with asking somebody to consider additional products. So moderate pace of work, moderate high ability to handle rejection, positive and relational. And they're more analytical than the salesperson because they're responsible for that. Now, a common trait among both of these individuals is intelligence. They both have to have a pretty high level of intelligence because if you think about having to pass licensing and also learn the volume of products necessary to be able to have a conversation. And it is a conversation where a person must have this high level ability to reason things out and explain the difference between automobile liability and automobile collision and why you need both and why you might need an additional liability policy. To be able to connect the dots with all of those products, it takes a high level of intelligence and a high ability to reason through all of the nuances of that so that you can quickly explain that in a way that people understand you know what you're talking about and they want to buy from you and trust you. So number one, thank you for sharing all this. It's like a Venn diagram. I would say that that's definitely the most detailed differentiation in between a team member and a salesperson, a service person, I'm sorry, and a salesperson. So thank you for sharing that. That was definitely very detailed. And I think our listeners are going to get a lot of value out of that. So let's say that somebody comes to terms with themselves and finally accepts, hey, you know what? Maybe I do need some help with recruiting. What would be the first piece of advice that you would give them if they want to improve at recruiting? We've put together an end-to-end system. Most of the time, if you were to go online and you were to look up hiring salespeople, 99% of what you're going to find there is a company trying to get you to buy a personality profile. If a person has the right personality, that's only 35% of what they need. 
And those companies are really good at catering to what we talked about earlier. Everybody wants an easy solution to a complex problem. And so they cater to that. Buy this personality profile. It'll help you tell whether or not somebody can sell. And that's really malpractice. Because when you look at all of the dimensions that make up whether or not a person can do this, the first thing a person needs to do is to become educated on all of the dimensions that determine whether or not a person can do that job, whether it's selling, whether it's servicing and pivoting, whether it's being an accountant, whether it's being an engineer, it doesn't matter what the job is. The first thing you do before you start hiring someone is you must know what are the dimensions that we must measure in order to determine whether or not a person can do this job. And then the second thing, you must have the tools to measure those things. And by the way, intelligence, if you have the right intelligence, that's an additional 20%. So an intelligence test and a personality test, if they are the right test to measure sales, which they're all not, you only get to 55%. The other 20% has to do with behaviors, character, attitudes, motivations, and you measure those with interview questions. So getting an education on all of that is number one. Number two is finding a system that'll teach you how to measure those things. So with your system, where do other personality profiles, Myers-Briggs, DISC, Strength Finders, Wonderlick, Colby, and I'm lumping a bunch just into that profile, okay? I mean, I know some of those would argue that they're not personality profiles. I understand that. Where does that fit within your system as a combination or does it at all? Let me talk about where it fits into our system and then I'll talk about the differences. Because of the internet and because of the science of personality profiling, we're at a real advantage that as soon as we can get a person to take the assessment, be honest while they're taking the assessment, because the degree to which they're honest when answering the questions is the degree to which you'll get good information. So if they'll honestly answer the questions, then we can get the scores that we need to look at on the personality profile. If they'll take the time and put in the effort to take the intelligence test, we'll get that information. So we can really create a very expeditious process if we can have a system where we are communicating effectively with candidates in a way that encourages them to take the assessment. And we can get that information either before we do a telephone interview or quickly thereafter. So we can use the personality assessment and the intelligence test early so that we can save ourselves a lot of time. I have about 13 phone calls a day with agents and probably discuss somewhere in the neighborhood of about 50 personality profiles and intelligence tests per day. And we may have two out of those 50 where we say move ahead and interview this person. Wow. So there's a very, very large number of people who are applying for this job. About half of them aren't intelligent enough to do it. And then there's a large percentage of those individuals who are just very, very nice, but they can't handle the pace of selling or the multitasking pace that's necessary in a state farm office, or they have no idea what they want to do with their life. And they're just kicking tires and applying for a lot of things. <laughs> and you ask, what do you know about us and what we do? And why did you apply? Well, I know you're a big insurance company. And so I just thought I'd check it out. So a lot of non-serious applicants. So we try to use the personality assessment very, very early in the process. The second piece of that is how are we different? A personality assessment is only as good as the benchmark that has been created for the position that you're hiring for. 
a State Farm selling team member and a State Farm service team member, or just to lump that into a financial services selling team member. It takes an awful lot of work to find enough individuals. We found 750 financial services individuals who said, yes, I will take your assessment. And we found the managers of those people who said, yes, I will give you their production data and I will answer a questionnaire about those individuals to tell you whether or not on a scale of one to 10, how productive they are and would I hire them again? We were able to take that and give that to our team of statisticians and PhDs and they created a benchmark for a financial services representative. No other personality profiling company out there has done that hard work specifically for this position that we're talking about today. One of the largest producers of a personality assessment, they have what they call our sales assessment. If you read the definition, it makes an enthusiastic presentation. Well, that's retail selling. Somebody wants your product, they get in their car, they drive to see you, and they walk up to you and say, do you have this in size 10? And you can make an enthusiastic presentation about that product. Or can you tell me about this smartphone? And that assessment might be helpful in a situation like this, but that's not the definition of sales for this position here, which is calling a stranger who's not expecting the phone call. And so we have a highly refined, a highly specific benchmark for this position, and nobody else has that. And I think you'd have a hard time finding somebody who's been doing this for 20 years and prior to that sold financial services for 15 years who's willing to have a conversation with you about the candidates. That's very true. That's very, very true. And I just have to go back to your stats you just threw out there. If you're looking at 50 or speaking to about 50 different people and to make it through, I mean, that's a 4% pull through rate, which is extraordinarily low. Exactly. And those are just the people I'm talking to. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's hundreds of individuals out there who are using our systems who don't call me because they reach the point at the education level where they can make those decisions themselves. And that's our goal. We want to teach people how to fish. Those are Ivy League numbers, like (laughs) Ivy League admission numbers. Yeah. So, I mean, would you say that this applies to like people who like not only State Farm, but also to people like in Allstate, farmers and, and things like that? Every sales organization in America, not just financial services. Mm. Yeah, we have a very large company. They're the largest Verizon dealer in America. They have 3,000 salespeople. We were talking to a recruiter in one market, one of their markets. She looks at 6,500 to 8,500 resumes a day to hire two people. Wow. Wow. I'm sorry, a month. 6,500 to 8,500 resumes a month to hire three people. That's a very rigorous filtering system. In my mind, I was just thinking about how fine of a filter that is to really truly be able to get down to exactly who are the best, you know, if you want to call them A players to be on the team. I mean, that's a very rigorous system. It seems like that if somebody has a filter, has a process, has a best practice end-to-end system, as you referred to it, that at the end, it's just, there's more holes in it. So, candidates that are just not cut out for the job make it through. Exactly. There was an individual out there, his name was Price. He did a study and a result of that study was formed Price's Law. And Price's Law says that if you look at the size of an organization, the square root of the number of people inside that organization are doing 50% of the work. That's three out of 10, 10 out of 100, 100 out of 10,000. I mean, this wow. almost it's frightening. It's mind-blowing. It is. But what happens is the larger organization gets competencies 
flat and, and mm-hmm. incompetency grows exponentially. Oh, and say so, that again. That's pretty profound. Say that again. Yeah. The larger an organization gets, competency flattens. Incompetency grows exponentially. So you think about an organization that has 10,000 people, 100 people are producing 50% of the work. So there are 100 extremely competent people inside that organization that are responsible for making sure that the balance of those 10,000 individuals are being extremely productive. If you have an office of 10 people, three people inside that office are responsible for 50% of the work. The reason I point this out is that's how difficult it is to find highly competent, hardworking, motivated individuals. And so the reason it's so difficult to recruit is you've got to have this highly refined sourcing machine. You can't just be throwing some job description out there that somebody in a compliant HR department wrote that doesn't even have the word sales in it and expect to get quality people. You have to put a lot of time and effort at putting together the right job description, putting it in the right places so that you repel the wrong people and attract the right people. And that's just one source of finding people. There must be this proactive machine in place. Learn how to find people on LinkedIn. Learn how to find people on Facebook. Learn how to find people among your customers and in the community. Fishing in a lot of ponds is absolutely necessary in today's environment to find the best people. I could ask you questions for hours. I think this podcast could go on for like, this could be a Joe Rogan three-hour podcast, I think, you know. Maybe, maybe one day, maybe one day, Chris, if we get sponsored by Spotify and we get a $100 million contract, maybe we'll go to Joe Rogan and Jocko Willenick three-hour podcast levels. But this has been absolutely fascinating. You know, one of the things I really love about what you said that I totally agree with is that if anybody tries to make out that business is simple, they're trying to sell you something because business and leadership is extraordinarily complex. Because people are involved. That's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I feel like that should have been quoted right there. Yeah. Bradley's right. I mean, there's so many questions that I want to ask and maybe we can have around to in the future. Like, for example, when you first start an agency, people pressure you and pressure you to hire, hire, hire just so you can get your numbers up. But then you got to think about the amount of money that you can lose. You said 70000 per person that you hire incorrectly. So that's a lot of Rolexes that are going out the window when, like, sure. when you're just trying pretty to hire sure. anybody that's got a heartbeat. Exactly. Well, I can't tell you how many new agents I talk to. They're six months into their first year. They're 50000 in debt sitting in the office by themselves. And they've been through 10 employees. Then I said, I wish I'd found you six months ago. And well, you probably wish they, you would have found, they would have found you <laughs> nine months ago before they actually got started. Yep. Yeah. It's a very, very daunting task. Yeah. And if you think about all the things that a person who owns a business must do, they've got to have a great accounting system. They've got a phenomenal computer system. Most of the large companies have great sales training. They have great product training, but there's absolutely zero out there being offered in the way of, here's where you find candidates, here's what you look for, here's how you measure those traits, and here's the system and the steps that you follow to do it. Steve, you ready for the world-famous E9 rapid-fire questions? Do it. 
What's the last book that you read? I'm very interested in history and history of lost civilizations because my goal is to not repeat the sins of the past. And I've been reading Fingerprints of the Gods. And Graham Hancock is a phenomenal individual who has done a tremendous amount of work at looking at historical civilizations. And I find that kind of information extremely interesting. And I'm a big Joe Rogan fan. I don't enjoy the podcast where he's interviewing his fellow comedians, but I do enjoy podcasts where he's interviewing people like Graham Hancock and behavioral psychologists. I'm also a big fan of anything that Jordan Peterson writes because he is the smartest psychologist I have ever encountered. Mm-hmm. And I love his book, 12 Rules of Life. It's a great because book. Because it definitely is a phenomenal book for learning about how to unscrew your screwed up life. And also, he has another book that I don't recommend that anybody read unless you're a psychology student. So I'm not even going to give you the name of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, what book would you recommend to others? I would recommend 12 Rules of Life. It's a great self-help book. The other book that I would recommend, not just because my business partner, Lance Cooper, wrote it, but he has written a book. It's called Selling Beyond Survival. And the thing that most people lack and most business owners lack is a system of being able to really sit down and put together some goals and develop a process for hitting those goals. And that book and that workbook is a phenomenal tool to just help you sort of plan out the next five years of your financial business life. Steve, what's something that you've never been able to do well? I am so spontaneous. I make horrible investment decisions. I wish I had a couple of small fortunes back. I sold Amazon at 1800. Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) Hope you bought Tesla. I looked at it at 800. Oh, or 1800, whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Too late. As I said, I've never been. <laughs> what things do you do every day that you wish could be automated? Taking care of a 59 year old body. The amount of work that it takes to exercise and eat right. It's just, if I'm not spending a minimum of an hour working out and stretching and that sort of thing, you just get so far behind. But that can't be automated. I know that. Something that would clean out my unnecessary emails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is actually an app for that. I can't remember what it is, but I'll actually send it to you. There is something that can do some of that. Oh, cool. Thank you. Or an assistant. Or an assistant. That's right. Who would you most like to sit next to on a 10-hour flight and why? Jordan Peterson. The reason why is because he's incredibly intelligent and his core desire is to help other people. So I find his objective in life admiring and I find he has taken his brain and has used it for the benefit of bettering mankind. If you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Ice cream and apple pie. Oh, that's a good answer. Or Ben and Jerry's Southern apple pie recipe. If they don't (laughs) have one, they should. I love it. I love it. What's your most unusual talent? I started out as an art major in college. I met a lot of poor people who were art majors, and so I changed to business. So I am very artistic when it comes to building furniture out of reclaimed wood. I'm in the process. I've collected about 70 old tools. I'm in the process of 
framing a collage built out of those tools. That is certainly unusual and super cool. Well, I mean, this next question goes along with that. So like, what's something that I would never guess about you if I had just met you? That I prefer to be by myself in my wood shop, creating something that nobody's ever seen before. Steve, it is, after all, the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. So what's the best piece of leadership advice you've ever been given to close us out? Set a goal, determine why that goal is important to you, write a plan for reaching that goal that includes metrics and measure the metrics every day. No matter what your personality type is, that plan will not fail. Steve, this has been fantastic. I hope that you'll come back on the podcast in the future. We could go down so many different topics. Just one of those questions we asked you to be able to, we could get a whole hour episode out of just one thing. So thank you for your time. We really do appreciate it. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, your team at Sales Managed Solutions, what's the best way for them to be able to do that? My email address is ssuggs at salesmanage.com. The best way to speak with me is to schedule a call using my calendar app, and that is salesmanage.com forward slash contact forward slash Steve, and salesmanage.com is our corporate website. Fantastic. We'll make sure we put all those links in the show notes and then obviously the email that we send out. Steve, thank you again for your time. We really do appreciate it. It is my pleasure. Thank you. Be glad to come back anytime. All right. Take care, sir. Hey, Bradley. I'm going to ask you a question. How many Rolexes do you think that you can purchase with $70,000? I guess it depends which one. I mean, if it's a sub, maybe seven. If it's a presidential, maybe three. Well, how upset would you be if, let's just say, three to six months after purchasing one of those, you went ahead and lost one? I would not be happy about that. Well, I'm glad you said that because 70K, just like Steve was saying, is the cause of a bad hire. So with that being said, it might be worthwhile to actually be honest with yourself and accept that you need help when it comes to recruiting because it's such an important factor of the business. It's going to help you either boost the business if you do it correctly, or as you can see, set you back 70K per bad hire every time that you do it incorrectly. So if you're struggling with this, I would strongly recommend checking out Steve's program and simply educating yourself about recruiting. What's something that you took away from this, Bradley? I mean, I picked up a lot. It would be really difficult to say that there was just one thing, but obviously the importance of having an end-to-end system, whether you use Steve's system itself, which obviously they've perfected that system, but having an end-to-end system and then just the education of all the dimensions because people are complex, okay? People are complex. And so understanding how personality plays into this, understanding how intelligence plays into this, understanding how behaviors play into this. And then, listen, I mean, he gave a lot of statistics that just really blew my mind about basically, if you're using the right system, how few people will actually make it through your filter. And then that will ensure, or at least give you the best chance to beat the odds. Ultimately, all we're doing, talking about here is stacking the odds in your favor to get you the best team members possible to give you the best chance of success in your insurance agency, financial services, business, whatever it is. So I thought the stats were really interesting. I mean, he says, I'm speaking and reviewing 50 resumes or so a day, and I'm basically green lighting four of, or two of those or so 4% of the people that he's talking to. And I just was thinking, well, what is the number that agents are looking at, the number of resumes that they're looking at, and then how many are actually going through their filtering system? And so it's a lot more. And so to me, I think people are going to really 
be blown away by some of those numbers. That's some of the things I took away with. So I thought he did a fantastic job. I truly do hope that he comes back on the podcast in the future. We'll have him back on to talk about some specifics. We could have gone a lot of different ways with that. So as we get into the final stretch of the year, people are trying to wrap up some year-end goals, maybe trying to grow your auto, trying to grow your fire numbers, close out some life. People are searching for auto insurance and insurance more than they ever have in today's environment. And what a better way to be able to have warm leads actually coming into your business. And if you're confused by Google, there's no better people to reach out to than our friends, Matt and Maddie Jonesa, who own DirectClicks. So contact them, go to directclicksinc.com. We've gotten great feedback. So many of you have told us about your experience working with DirectClicks, and it's just been great to hear the success that you all have been having, being able to get some leads coming into your business. So reach out to Matt and Maddie Jones at directclicksinc.com. And Chris, until next time, lead well. And stay classy. 